open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to read the first 19 verses of Daniel 9. A very moving prayer. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O oh Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judge us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as, was, as has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, Incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations of the city which is called by your name. 
For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So far, the reading of God's holy word. I believe it was the great 17th century Puritan theologian John Owen who said, what an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. We may present a rather pious image in public, but the true test of our spiritual vitality is what we are like in secret on our knees before God. What are we like when no one but God is watching and listening? Brothers and sisters, we learn much about Daniel by observing his prayer life. When you read this short book, you discover that he prayed not only in times of crisis, but also according to a regular disciplined schedule. We saw in chapter 6 that he was so committed to prayer that even the threat of being cast into the lion's den would not deter him. Communion with God was an indispensable part of his daily life, regardless of the cost. He was no stranger in the presence of God. Well, in the verses before us, we are given an, an illustration of the way in which Daniel poured out his heart before the Lord. We want to take some time to ponder his penitential prayer. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. First, we'll look at the context of Daniel's prayer. And second, we'll survey the content. And may our study of these verses motivate us to be men, women, young people, and children of prayer. First, the context. As you know, Daniel was carried away captive to Babylon in the year 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem and took a great number of Jews into exile. Commentators estimate that Daniel was probably between 14 and 17 years old, a teenager. When we come to this ninth chapter, 66 years have gone by. 66 years away from his homeland, away from Jerusalem, the city of God. The events recorded here took place in the first year of Darius the Mede, which was probably around 539 BC. This means that Daniel was now a senior, around 80 years old or more. He had re recently witnessed the collapse of the Babylonian Empire. The dreams and visions which he had either interpreted or received were being fulfilled. When Daniel was just a young man, King Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of a great statue. The head of fine gold represented the Babylonian Empire. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that the golden kingdom of Babylon would eventually fall to another kingdom. Sixty-four years after Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel's prediction was fulfilled. 
Darius the Mede marched into Babylon, Belshazzar was slain, and Darius received the kingdom. Now, you'll recall from chapter 6 that when Darius took over the kingdom, he began the task of reorganizing the administration. He put the affairs of the empire into the hands of 120 satraps who were appointed over the various districts. These satraps were placed under the authority of three high officials of whom Daniel was one. As the king observed his top three officials, it was obvious to him that Daniel surpassed the others in wisdom and dependability. An excellent spirit was in him. Therefore, the king favored Daniel, and like Joseph before him, he was given a position of authority second only to the king himself. He was the king's right-hand man. Congregation, success can be intoxicating right? Success can be intoxicating. But Daniel's success in Babylon did not erode his trust in the God of Israel. He never forgot the faith of his fathers and the messianic promises. Sometimes you hear of young people raised in a Christian home who become successful. They do well in school, Excel in university, prosper in business, and everything they touch turns to gold. They work hard and climb to the top. But over time, they begin wandering from the truth. And eventually, they abandon the truth of God's Word. They no longer cherish the gospel. All that religious stuff may be fine for dad and mom, but I have no need of it. I'm doing just fine. That was not the case with Daniel. This is evident as we read the second verse of chapter 9. He had been away from Jerusalem, the temple, and its priesthood for some 66 years. Yet what do we find him busy with in verse 2? Children? He's studying the Bible. He's studying the Bible, the written word of God. Of course, he did not have a single volume as you have on your lap today, but a collection of scrolls. For all those years in Babylon, he had never forgotten the sacred scriptures or lost confidence in them. Daniel did not have our complete Bible, but he had portions of it, and he studied those portions. Now, congregation, I find this to be an interesting point, for Daniel was himself what? A prophet. He was a prophet. He had several remarkable visions and revelations, and yet... He never outgrew his need for Bible study. If that was vital for Daniel, shouldn't it also be important for us? We are not prophets as Daniel was. Visions and revelations are a thing of the past. With the completion of the canon, direct revelation from God has ceased. Therefore, we should be diligent in studying the written word. You're never too old to learn from the scriptures. Seniors, at 80 years old, Daniel was still busy in the word. Now, on this particular occasion, he was reading the prophecies of, verse 2, Jeremiah. Jeremiah predicted that the people would be brought into captivity. 
When Daniel was a young boy growing up in Jerusalem, it is possible that he heard Jeremiah in person. He certainly would have known about Jeremiah and his prophecies. Because it was God's intent to include the prophecies of Jeremiah in Scripture, they were written down and preserved. It was these scrolls that Daniel was reading. As he read, he was guided by God to some portions that perhaps he had never really considered before. Turn back with me, please, in your Bibles for just a moment. Keep your finger in at Daniel, but turn back with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 25 and look down to the 8th verse. In the beginning of this chapter, Jeremiah rebuked the nation of Judah for not hearing the word that he preached. He said, I've been preaching to you for 23 years, rising early, but you haven't heard a word that I've said. The Lord sent his prophets to you and called you to repent, but you did not listen. Then look at verse 8 of Jeremiah 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolations. Now, please keep your Bibles open there for just a moment. As Daniel read these words of Jeremiah, the accuracy must have deeply impressed him. How true these predictions had been. Look at verse 10. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. Just keep it open yet for a moment. When Nebuchadnezzar arrived in Jerusalem, Engaged couples were suddenly separated by the captivity. The bride and the bridegroom were torn apart. Happiness was replaced with tears. Yes, Daniel could identify with these words of Jeremiah. But then as Daniel continued to read, he came across these words of verse 11. Have a look. Verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation, and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon. Now, turn to Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. Twenty-nine and verse ten. For thus says the Lord: After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Drop down to verse fourteen. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. As Daniel read through the scrolls of Jeremiah, he came across these divine promises. 
For 66 years he had prayed toward Jerusalem and now he read these promises that after 70 years the Lord would bring his people back. Imagine the thoughts of the age of Daniel. How excited he must have been. The years of captivity were drawing to a close and the time of restoration was near according to the words of Jeremiah. And yet, congregation, there was no visible sign that the promise could soon be fulfilled. Yes, the golden head of the statue, Babylon, had been crushed by the Medo-Persian Empire, but there was no indication whatsoever that the new empire had plans to restore the Jews. So what did Daniel do? Did he conclude that the word of God was inaccurate? Certainly not. Go back to verse 3 of Daniel 9. Verse 3 of Daniel 9. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Having read the word, Daniel was driven to his knees. He devoted himself to diligent prayer. His supplications were accompanied by fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He set his face toward the Lord by way of personal self-denial. Many years earlier, God had said to Solomon, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will, what? Hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Daniel did precisely what the Lord said to Solomon. He humbled himself in sackcloth and ashes. Bear in mind, congregation, that with the exception of the king, in all the Medo-Persian realm, there was not a man who possessed the kind of power and authority that Daniel possessed. Nevertheless, he was willing to remove his garments in order to be clothed in sackcloth and ashes, humbling himself before the sovereign God of Israel. His fasting was a way of saying, Lord, my debts are so great that I don't even deserve my daily bread. Also, the wearing of sackcloth was his way of saying, Lord, the most basic things of life, such as clothing, are beyond what I deserve. Daniel humbled himself before the Lord, knowing that he and his people were sinners, debtors in need of grace. Congregation, do you humble yourself before the Lord in times of prayer? Do you plead with him, humbly recognizing your need? When you approach him, do you understand that you deserve none of his mercies? Well, let's go on secondly to survey the content of Daniel's penitential prayer. The content. In verses 4 to 19, I want to point out several things. First of all, it is rooted in the knowledge of God's covenant with his people. We see this at the very outset of his prayer. 
Look with me to verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Daniel understood that the nation of Israel stood in a covenant relationship with God. Because of that, they could expect blessings for obedience or curses for disobedience. So let's bring our thoughts back for a moment. After the wilderness wanderings, when the nation of Israel entered the land, they stopped at Shechem for a very special ceremony. Shechem was a village that was located in a valley between two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Joshua led the people there in obedience to the words of Moses, which he commanded before his death. Moses specified that the tribes were to be evenly divided on each of the mountains. Those on Mount Ebal were to pronounce a series of curses, and those on Mount Gerizim were to repeat a series of blessings. It was a very solemn experience. God was teaching the nation that their future in the land depended upon whether they were living in thankful obedience, as represented by Mount Gerizim, or whether they were living in dis disobedience, as represented by Mount Ebal. As there were two mountains by Shechem, so there are two ways that a person can live. The whole ceremony pointed to the fact that the right of possessing and retaining the land was directly tied to obedience to God's covenant requirements. Now, congregation, Daniel fully understood that he and the nation of Judah were brought to Babylon as the result of their unfaithfulness. The words recited from Mount Ebal years before were fulfilled as they were driven into exile. Daniel's entire prayer reflects a keen awareness of the principles set forth at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. In verse 11, he said, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Daniel's entire prayer recognized God's covenant curses and the need for one who is faithful they needed a savior a righteous one and isn't that what we need as well then secondly in connection with this we see that daniel's prayer contained a repeated confession of sin a repeated confession of sin at the beginning of the prayer, verse 4, we read, I made confession. And at the end of the prayer, we read in verse 20, I was confessing my sin. But notice the way in which the confession of sin is stated. Daniel always included himself. He did not place himself above the people, but he identified with them. Throughout, he used the first person plural pronoun. Verse 5. We have sinned. We have done wrong, acted wickedly, and rebelled. Verse 6. 
We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Verse 7, we are covered with shame. Verse 8, we have sinned against you. Verse 9, we have rebelled. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 11, we have sinned. Verse 13, we have not made our prayer before the Lord. Verse 14, we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 15, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. You see, Daniel included himself among the guilty. Don't we often prefer to point the finger at others? We have a natural tendency to excuse ourselves. This has been the case ever since the first sin in the garden. The Lord confronted Adam. Adam said, it wasn't my fault, it was the woman. And when the Lord confronted the woman, she said, it wasn't my fault, it was the serpent. Ever since that day, we have a remarkable ability to shift the blame. From children in the church nursery to adults in the workplace, we don't easily own up to our sin or take responsibility for the consequences. Sometimes when a church passes through a major internal conflict, we all point an accusing finger at someone else. The easiest thing to do is to blame others. It's, it's his fault. If she would only, if the elders would only. Daniel was not like that. He accepted joint responsibility for the mess they were in. We have sinned, we have done wickedly. If there was anyone that we might excuse from blame, wouldn't it be Daniel? As far as I know, nothing negative is said about Daniel in the entire Bible. For 66 years, he lived faithfully in Babylon. He was a tremendous example to others. Even at the most dangerous moments, he refused to compromise his convictions. If there was anyone in Israel who could have attempted to plead his innocence, wasn't it Daniel? But he didn't do so. He identified with the people and confessed his own sin along with theirs. We have sinned. We. Congregation, again, when you pray, do you recognize your staggering debt? When you enter his throne room, do you openly confess your own personal offenses and transgressions? Do you also confess our corporate sins as church, both locally and nationally? Are you sensitive to the fact that we are so far from where we should be, both as individuals and collectively as church? Do you honestly and openly say to God, we have sinned. We have not let our light shine as we should. We have not let the gospel be known as we should. We have not cherished the cross as we should. We have allowed our wealth to make us drowsy. We have sinned. Then thirdly, this prayer is not only rooted in the knowledge of God's covenant and saturated with confession, 
but it also acknowledges the just judgments of God. The just judgments of God. Daniel said that God was not unfair in the way that he dealt with his people. Verse 14b says, For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does. Sometimes when a child is disciplined by his parents, he complains that their treatment of him is unjust or unfair. He believes his parents have been too harsh. The punishment was overdone. When Daniel considered the punishment that the Lord brought upon his people, he did not conclude that God was too harsh, strict, or unloving. He simply submitted to his judgments and said, The Lord our God is righteous. Daniel understood that sin always deserves judgment. A holy God cannot overlook the violation of his law. Daniel was able to grasp what many people today fail to grasp, the just judgment of God. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is good. But he's also righteous, holy, and just. When the armies of Nebuchadnezzar trampled the city of Jerusalem, tore down the wall, burned the temple, and carried off men, women, and children to another land, it was the just judgment of God visited upon a covenant-breaking people. Families were separated, houses destroyed, people slain, the city left a smoldering heap of rubble. Yet, says Daniel, the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. God was not mean, nasty, and bad-tempered. He was only doing what he promised he would do, punish and chasten covenant breakers. Brothers and sisters, when your world is unraveling, when the sky seems to be falling, when everything appears to be dark and dismal and your life is filled with pain, do you question the ways of God? Lord, how can you do this to me? How can you allow such misery in my life? It's not fair. It's not right. It's not just. Or do you say, regardless of the circumstances, the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. So this prayer is not only rooted in God's covenant, saturated with confession, and conscious of the just judgments of God, but fourthly, it is also a prayer for renewal. A prayer for renewal. Knowing that Jerusalem and the temple were ruined, Daniel prayed that the Lord would once again look upon them with favor. Look at his petition in verse 16. O oh Lord, 
According to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Verse 17, now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Verse 18, O oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolation. Even though Daniel was an old man who would himself never enjoy the blessings of restoration to Jerusalem, he nevertheless prayed that the Lord would turn away his wrath and cause his face to shine upon the sanctuary once again. Daniel's prayer was not merely self-centered, not merely for his own sake. He was praying on behalf of the generation that would follow him. He wanted the next generation to know the Lord's presence. Congregation, do you ever pray for the church of Christ in this manner? Those of you who are elderly in our midst, do you pray on behalf of the next generation? Do you pray that the face of God will shine upon his people even though you might not live many more years? You see, Daniel's concern was not merely for himself, but for the sake of the church of God. He wanted God's people to thrive under the blessing of the Lord. I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to intercede for the church of Jesus Christ in this way. Pray for renewal through the gospel, that the face of God will shine upon his people, and that the church will prosper by the favor of the Lord. Then fifthly, this prayer also appeals to the mercy of and forgiving grace of God. This prayer also appeals to the mercy and forgiving grace of God. Go to verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Move down to verse 18b. 18b. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. Daniel knew that he had nothing of himself to present to God. He was not in a position to bargain. He could only cast himself upon mercy and forgiving grace, anticipating the Savior, Jesus Christ, anticipating the blood of the cross. If the Lord were to deal with them on the basis of their righteousness, they would all be consumed. But Daniel knew that his God was a God of tender mercy who promised a Savior. As the prophet Micah said, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Congregation, as Daniel appealed to the mercy of God, so we must appeal to his mercy and forgiving grace. 
We must come as the tax collector who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He went down to his house justified, fully forgiven, debts canceled, because he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Daniel appealed to the mercy of God, and so must you. He had to look forward to the mercy promised in Christ. But you can look back to that final, finished sacrifice on Calvary's cross and say, Lord, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because he is righteous. Your mercy has been so wonderfully revealed in Jesus. Is that your confidence? Mercy and forgiving grace in Jesus. Then sixthly, a rather interesting feature here is that this prayer is a prayer according to the will of God. A prayer according to the will of God. What do I mean? Daniel read in the scrolls of Jeremiah that after 70 years, the Lord would bring his people back from exile. He promised in his word that there would be a restoration. Daniel knew that it was going to happen. Yet he prayed for the very thing that the Bible assured him of. And we might say, why pray for something that God has already promised? If God has decreed it, why bother praying? Because Daniel understood what it meant to ask in accordance with God's will. He sought the Lord in the same way as a child who, who pleads on the basis of his father's promise. A child comes to his father and he says, Daddy, you promised. You promised. Daniel approached the Lord and pleaded on the basis of his promises. Because God said it, his prayer was according to God's will. Daniel prayed for what God had already promised to do. Isn't this also what we see in Elijah? When he prayed that the Lord would withhold the rain from Israel. Scripture says that the Lord would close the heavens when his people rebelled against him. Elijah came to God and he said, Lord, you promised. You said it in your word. I believe it. Now let it be so in answer to my prayers. Both Daniel and Elijah prayed according to the will of God. His promise did not make them idle. On the contrary, it drove them to their knees, beseeching the Lord to prove his faithfulness. Congregation, you can also pray like this. Read the word, claim the promises, and pray according to his will. Whatever you ask according to his will, he will give it to you. So Daniel's prayer was rooted in God's covenant, number one. It contained repeated confessions of sin, number two. It acknowledged the just judgments of God, number three. It was a prayer for renewal, number four. It appealed to the mercy and grace of God, number five, and it was a prayer according to God's will, number six. And then finally, we also notice that his prayer was one through which he sought the glory of God. 
the glory of God. Look with me, please, as we conclude to verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. It is God's city, God's sanctuary, God's people. They bear his name. Daniel's prayer revealed an attitude of concern for the sacred name. Hallowed be your name. How will he be glorified when his people are, his, are in exile and the city in, his city in ruins? How will he be worshipped when the temple is no more? What will the nation say about the God of Israel? The conclusion of Daniel's prayer is very God-centered. O oh Lord, save your people and forgive for your own sake. Congregation, Daniel lived for the glory of God, prayed for the glory of God, and his whole life was directed to the glory of God. Is that your desire as well? Do you get on your knees seeking his glory? His name is to be honored, praised, and exalted in the midst of his church. Oh, Lord, save your people who are called by your name. Save for your own sake. Dear friends, may your life, prayers, and worship be directed to this end. The glory of God. The glory of God. Ever since the invasion of the Ukraine, I cannot help but wonder... Mr. Putin, what in the world are you thinking? Do you want subsequent generations to hear of you in history class? What, what's your ultimate desire? Mr. Putin, you are 70 years old. The fact is, within the next 25 years, you will be in a box in the ground and your body decomposing. And then what will you say when you stand unforgiven before the bar of divine justice? Mr. Putin, you are very short-sighted. You might get your name in history books, but your name will not be found in the book of life. If you don't repent, you will suffer forever. Mr. Biden, that goes for you as well, and Mr. Trudeau. Dear friends, such men are not the only short-sighted, guilty sinners. Every man, woman, and child outside of Christ is in the same state. Maybe not guilty to the same degree, but guilty nonetheless. Isn't it far more satisfying to, to trust the blood of Christ, to know that your debt is paid, and to live for his glory? Congregation, in this chapter, doesn't Daniel remind us of a superior mediator and intercessor? Jesus prayed for his people, for his church, and in all he did, he sought the glory of God. 
And today he continues to make intercession for all his people who are purchased with his precious blood. Is he your mediator and intercessor? Daniel should direct your thoughts to him and motivate you to pursue God's glory. Give me the single eye, thy name to glorify. O Lord, my God most high, with heart sincere. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Lord, our God, when we reflect upon Daniel's prayer, so much of it resonates with us. We recognize today also, Lord, the failure of your church, the sins of your church. Lord, so much that we have left undone. And, oh, Lord, we say with Daniel, we have sinned. Maybe our situation is very different from what it was in Daniel's day, and yet, Lord, we recognize, too, that we are so inadequate and we fall so far short of your glory. We pray today, Lord, that you and your mercy would look upon us, that your face would shine upon us, and that, Lord, we would be so overwhelmed by the beauty of the gospel that we would give our lives entirely to your service revive your church today dear God may the light shine brightly in the next generation for your name's sake we pray that your spirit would work mightily in our young people and our children for the glory of Christ, that they will continue to make the gospel known, that they will continue faithfully worshiping you, empowered by the Spirit, motivated by the honor of your name. Lord, hear us also as we conclude this service, as we sing these final songs to you that we may do so, Lord, genuinely from our heart. That you will receive our praises. That you will look upon your people with compassion, mercy, and forgiving grace. Lord, you have said that you will build your church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we, Lord, take you, hold you to your word. We pray that you will continue to build and preserve your church. We pray according to your will. You have promised, and we look to you. In the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ, amen.